Hi, I'm Matt Ward, and welcome to episode seven of the Running Industry Podcast. I first started thinking about Harriet. I mean, if you were to look at the trail running and the fitness industry, you would think that it's quite a um, a crowded marketplace. But as a runner, you start to kind of see different niches. I did feel that there was something missing to do with the fun side of trail running. So I thought that that was another gap in the market. Yeah. Thanks for downloading the Running Industry Podcast, as this week we talk to owner and founder of the Harrier brand, Kate McKenzie. Harrier is a super new brand on the market, launching in early 2020. And whether you're a beginner or an ultra runner, Harrier have products such as race vests, hydration and poles to suit every runner. In today's show, we'll discover a little bit more about the Harrier brand and Kate's background and how she forged ahead with launching the brand based in the wonderful Peak District in the UK during the 2020 coronavirus lockdown. It's been very difficult because when you're testing and designing products, you need groups of people to be able to do that properly, to get good feedback, to see it on people, say, four months ago when all of my products were coming out and I couldn't be with groups of people. Um, it's actually been a bit, you know, it's been awful. Uh, but, you know, you've just got to work through things. Also, make sure that you stay tuned to the end of the podcast for your chance to win a wonderful Harrier Prize Bundle with details on how you can enter at the end of the show and in the show notes. And remember to keep following us on social media at Run Industry. So settle down, tune in. You're listening to the Running Industry Podcast with me, Matt Ward, as this week I talk to the Harrier founder and owner, Kate McKenzie. So with me today on the Running Industry Podcast, I have got Kate McKenzie from the Harrier brand. Kate, how are you? Hi, Matt. I'm very good. Thanks. Are you? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks very much. And the sun is shining here in Wales, which, uh, which makes a little change at the moment. So I've really been looking forward to this one, um, talking to you about the Harrier brand and everything that's been going on in this frantic uh, first year for you, should we say. Why don't you just introduce yourself to the listeners and just tell us what you've been up to over the last six months or so in this incredibly crazy period for us all in the world. A little bit of background as to how you got to where you are today. Yeah, thanks so much. So my name's Kate McKenzie. I live in Derbyshire. So as I was growing up just outside of the Peak District, I've always been into walking and hiking from a young age. Um, I used to go out rambling with my mum quite a lot when I was very small, about um, five or six years old even. And so I've always had quite a big love for the the outdoors. Um, We'd go to the Dovedale area of the Peak District a lot. And since then, got more into fitness in my 20s and 30s, started trail running. I didn't really know what trail running was when I first started doing it. I just knew that I didn't want to run on the roads. So I started to run in country parks and places because I was scared of getting lost. Um, I started running in Nottingham at a place called Sherwood Pines, of all places, uh, because they've got the nice colour-coded routes. So you can do a route trees there and not get lost so I just used to go to Sherwood Pines and do laps of the um 
the biking routes just to be able to get away um, and have some fresh air. And then over the years, um, I've been lucky enough to up my trail runs and um, get back into the Peak District and do longer routes. And then over the past couple of years, I've been doing a bit more advanced things like fell running, long distance fell running, like uh, Bob Graham support, um, ultras, things like that. So yeah, it has progressed quite a lot really. And that's why I love it so much. It's It's been great to um, to be able to do those things. And you are in the Peak District, which is a beautiful part of the world. I've visited it many times myself and run there quite a bit. I can think of worse places to be in the last six months under lockdown. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, there's been a lot of problems in the Peak District, so it's had to be um, quite careful to actually stay away from there, especially at the start of lockdown. I mean, they've had um, they've had certain areas which had a lot of people visiting. They've had a lot of litter problems, fire problems. So I guess it's, yeah, for your own benefit, wanting to go out and see the place, but then also for the locals, trying to find a balance between what's right. Yeah. But in terms of yourself, you've been keeping fit over that period and you know, the brand and, you know, we're testing and so on and so forth. You've almost got a um, almost got a good excuse to get out there and need to actually get these products tested and used in the environment they were built for. Yeah, well, it's been very difficult because when you're testing and designing products, you need groups of people to be able to do that properly, to get good feedback, to see it on people. Sure. So the fact that I've not been able to go out with groups of people and be able to do this has made it very difficult. Um, and it's something that I'm trying to work through now. But say four months ago, when all of my products were coming out and I couldn't be with groups of people, um, it's actually been a bit, you know, it's been awful. Uh, but, you know, you've just got to work through things. So I've just tried to adapt to it. You have, yeah, really interesting point there for anyone developing products and a brand and doing R&D and all sorts. It's uh, it's not just you, otherwise it becomes a bit subjective, doesn't it? And uh, <laughs> yeah. you end up uh, putting out there what you like and what maybe other people don't really want. So let's get into the Harrier brand then, Kate. You know, it's, I think it's fair to say that Harrier brand is very young, started in late 2019. Just so the listeners can get an idea of the brand, tell us a bit about the, the brand as it is now, but also how you got to where you are today and some of your work background and experiences that made you want to actually begin the Harrier brand and, uh, and develop the products that you have. I think um, when I first started thinking about Harrier, I mean, if you were to look at the trail running and the fitness industry, just at a glance, you would think that it's quite a, um, a crowded marketplace. There's a lot of brands there, um, a lot of very big names, mm. very strong brands with a lot of history. And you've got a lot of loyalty there as well, because there's some really great ones and um, ones that I particularly still like now as well. But as a runner, you start to kind of see different niches um, and you start to see that maybe there's a bit of a gap. And one thing that I always found was that I would want good quality, um, but for a lower price point, maybe something with a few less frills. Um, I like things that are quite basic. I grew up with secondhand uh, clothes just from a young child, you know, single parent family, we would always buy secondhand. And when I started trail running, I didn't want to spend a lot of money on kit. And so I would buy everything secondhand, my jackets, shoes, I still buy all of my shoes secondhand, you know, worn a couple of times and and save a lot of money. (laughs) I brought a couple of pairs the other day, actually, both secondhand. Um, And also my poles, my first set of poles were secondhand because I wanted a good quality pair. Um, So it gets to a point where I don't mind buying secondhand. I do think it's better 
environmentally as well. But I did want to see if there was an opportunity for something that wasn't a sort of cheap style of trail running things at low cost, but wasn't really expensive either. And from what I could see, there kind of wasn't anything. Um, And not just to do with the price point, I did feel that there was something missing to do with the fun side of trail running. Quite a few of the brands are, they're quite performance based. um, It's quite serious. Mm. I'm not particularly a serious trail runner. I do, I do get competitive with certain things. Um, I wouldn't say that I'm a particular um, athlete or, you know, going for podium places all the time. I do like to trail run just to enjoy it and have um, have a good time with friends and see the scenery. And I think sometimes a little bit of that is missing, um, maybe going a little bit too much on the serious side. So I thought that that was another gap as well in the market. You're a um, heavy user being, you know, somebody who runs on the trails and obviously um, running ultras and the like. What kind of products did you identify, I suppose, Kate, when you kind of you know, looked at because as we know, the, the industry is vast, isn't it? All the way from, you know, footwear to apparel, to hydration, to headwear, to socks, to poles. There's endless amounts of areas that you could have concentrated on. I suppose that was one of the problems with it that you think, where shall I start? But did you have a, something in your mind where you thought, I'm going to develop this product to start with? Yeah, well, I still do think that there's far too much stuff um, <laughs> that that people think that they need to start trail running. I mean, I ran a trail ultra in a second-hand pair of road shoes, and I did all right. Um, I also do fell running. I used to do it in a second-hand dog walking jacket, waterproof jacket and things. So, um, you know, you can make do with a lot of things that you've already got just to get started in trail running. So, I didn't want to put people off if they wanted to get into trail running. And so I just tried to focus on the things that were essential for safety and for comfort. Those were the two things. So, for example, if you're wanting to take water on a run with you for safety, um, then you need to be able to carry it comfortably. And previously, I'd just taken a water bottle in my hands. It kind of sways you a bit off balance when you're kind of running around with a water bottle. So, you know, the vests are ideal, especially for longer distance. And then other items such as safety, the first aid kit, the mini runner first aid kit and the bivy bag, the emergency bivy bag that I do were also two of the smaller but essential items that I started with uh, because I think that's the most important place to start really. And then you sort of build up your collection as your confidence and your types of runs grow as well. You know, just looking across the brand range that you've got, I've been on the site and looked at all the fantastic products that you've got. Which product kickstarted Harry Brand? And tell us about the process of going, okay, this is what I want to develop. These are the products that I want to put out there. How do you get to the point where you've got something ready for people to buy? Yeah, it depends on the product. So if it's something that's quite small, like a first aid kit, that was quite easy because you would just pick the different items that you want to go in it um, and, you know, you just get those made up um, for trail runners. So, for example, with those, I just picked the items in a first aid kit that would be most handy to have. And that's quite simple. Mm Something like the race vests, that's ob- obviously taken a lot of um, a lot of months work of design work and sampling and testing. So you'd start out with a rough idea of something, um, the functionality, the fabrics, um, 
the design of them, the sizings, and then you'd work through a few different prototypes and samples until you finally get to a finished product that you're happy with, that you've tested um, and that you want to go to market with. So it sounds quite simple. The reality is uh, is not quite as simple, um, especially if you're just starting out. But that's the process that I used. And the first products out there were obviously the first aid kit and the race vest. Now, as you just mentioned, one is a lot easier to develop or to, to bring to market than the other. The race vests, did you have something in mind that you were trying to develop? I mean, you know, there's a lot, as you've mentioned, there's a lot of products out there on the market. Apart from the price point, did you think I need it to have this functionality and I want it to have this kind of fit? And you're a female. Was there anything about the form and the fit of a vest that needed to be different? How did you take the approach on the, on developing it? I wanted to simplify them back down again because I felt like some of the other race vests that are on the market were a little bit um, over-featured with certain things that have been over-complicated perhaps to make up for the price points that they're being sold at. I did feel like a lot of brands, they were ramping up the costs of race vests to the point where it was getting quite ridiculous. Um, And so I wanted to cut out a lot of the noise just to be able to bring them back to things that were simple for things that people needed to carry, which was water, a few safety items, warm layers and some snacks and a phone. So, you know, really, if you go out trail running, those are the best things. Um, And also for it just to fit well, for it to be snug, stretchy, um, not to bounce and plenty of pockets. So that's it, really. I mean, quite simple. um, But to do that, it meant that because I was simplifying it, I could get the price point down for developing them and also pass on those savings to other people who wanted a bit more of a, a mid-priced item. So not cheap, but not mega expensive either. Sure. And we will get into the um, the manufacturing side of it and your designing and you know how, it, how you actually get them into uh, the customer's hands, should we say, um, a little bit later on. In terms of the name as well, Kate, Harrier? is the name of the brand. How did you come up with the name, the logo, the identity, and what you were supposed you were trying to convey to the consumer? Yeah, I, know, I remember the exact moment that I thought of the name Harrier. And um, I was just walking along the, the bank path near the River Derwent. And my mum has retired recently. So she has um, started getting into her wild bird spotting. She loves wildlife. Um, and she bit of voluntary work and um she does like Chris Packham she thinks he's great and she's always talking about Chris Packham and the hen harriers so because she'd been banging on about Chris Packham and the hen harriers for a number of weeks and then obviously you've got the connection with the um with different running clubs with harriers yeah um it just seemed to fit really well and um yeah the logo came from an actual picture of a, a harrier and it was just silhouetted so very simple and that's it really that is where it came from and you know the the bird harrier is something that uh, keeps focused and it just seemed to be an animal that that fit with the ethos of what i was trying to do as well I like it. I really do. And I think that, you know, it has um has a deep connection certainly with UK, with fell running yeah. as well. Um, which is a really nice kind of story. I also like that I, that aspect of being, you know, focused and um and I suppose almost fending for yourself on your own at the start, you know, which is what you were doing essentially, wasn't it? That's right. Yes. Yeah, and it's nice to have a connection that it was from my mum as well. So it all yeah. it just all linked in so well. Yeah. You're listening to the Running Industry Podcast with this week's guest, Kate McKenzie. 
I'd also like to take this chance to point you in the direction of our Patreon page. So if you want to help us along the way, we'd be really grateful of any support via Patreon. Links are in the show notes and on the website at runningindustrypodcast.com. Reviews and ratings also help the podcast, so it would be amazing if you could give us a little review or a rating. And of course, make sure that you subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. From the outside, the Harrier brand, it looks like it's grown really quickly, certainly from when I was first became aware of it, which was, I don't know, maybe February or March. How did you get going from the very outset? So did you get any funding? Um, did you go and get a grant? Was it just you know self-funded and organic? Or was there a kind of a definitive plan to kind of go right by month 12, we want to be here? Or has it just kind of evolved? Um, no, I mean, I don't really leave things to chance, as it were, with, with evolving. I mean, it started with my own funds, with my own savings. Um, and uh, previously, I was working a day job. And so I would um, I would do both jobs up to the point where I couldn't cope with doing both jobs. And that's when I left the day job and a regular wage income and I went over to full-time Harrier Um, and then after that yeah it was just uh, I try to grow as I can sustainably it's quite difficult for new businesses because cash flow is the most difficult thing so on the one hand you're trying to increase the range give people different color variations and things provide enough different sizings and things Um, but then on the other hand obviously you can only do so much when you've got minimum order quantities and um and you're having to outlay for things and and testing really you don't know how things are going to sell it's all a gamble but it's a kind of a calculated gamble with the different things that i've done did you have any guidance on the way there or is it all kind of self-taught because one thing i know from a business and from a small business when you start having to look after accounts and um outsourcing and social media and marketing and r&d and design and it's obviously impossible for one person to be doing that. So did you have a definitive plan from the start to go, I'm going to get help with this, I'm going to get help with that? You know, again, have you been doing a lot and been burning the midnight oil yourself? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, at the start, I would do everything myself. So I would do all of my own photography, even the white background kind of things. And um, I would do everything myself. Um, but as things have developed and it needed professional people to do certain areas then I would outsource different things like photography like the videos um, and uh, accounts accounts are boring so somebody else can do those for me so the boring jobs um, I now outsource also things like the fulfillment side I used to pick and pack all of my orders it would take me hours the house looked like a warehouse (laughs) it was like walking into a box fort at one point and my partner said we've got to do something about this the cat was you know sitting on top of the boxes and he said we've got to change this so that's when we went to um a fulfillment company and that's great because it costs more but it allows you to expand business yeah it doesn't sound unfamiliar i must admit okay i don't know if you've read the book called shoe dog by phil knight who started nike no they go all the way back to the 60s you know when he was basically in a drafty old warehouse in a bad part of town with boxes and shoes and people sleeping underneath desks and stuff i think you've uh, you've traveled um, a similar journey to lots of uh, of startup brands there when was the brand actually started 
Um, I think everything started in um, December. Um, yeah, December last year, and then the trademarking started in January, February time, and that took about 10 months. You've come a long way in a very short space of time, I must admit. Um, when it comes to the products, then, just talking a bit more about that and about design and how you bring a product to market. Do you set out with an idea? So for instance, on your race vests, you know, you take a drawing, have you got a designer? Have you got people who who are doing manufacturing? And also tied into that question, is most of the manufacturing done in the UK or are you outsourcing? So with the designing, I started off just drawing my own designs with like a felt tip pen. So it looked a bit like a child's drawing. Um, and then the supplier, who was great, um, actually brought that to life for me to make my first samples, which I've still got now. I actually wear the first vest that I ever got made as a prototype. Following that, when I started learning about sizing and grading, yes, I did work with a professional designer. Um, And that's when I started to get things, you know, technical drawings made up, gradings made up. So, yeah, that had to happen quite quickly to make sure that it was all done properly. On the manufacturing side, um, the vests are made in China. I don't know how you would get these types of garments made in the UK. Um, I do have a few people that have asked me, but the components, the fabrics, um, the companies that are great at making these things are all just based in Asia, really. Same as the other big brands. um, That's what I went for, for the capabilities. And they've just been so great to work with. So yeah, I've got really good suppliers. That's great. I mean, it is slightly wishful thinking to think that you can build a whole brand and base it in, you know, 25 square miles and deliver it and have every single component being made in the Peak District, you know, with the best will in the world, it's not going to happen, is it? No, I mean, I approached a few British companies to make the waterproof jacket, Mm. but none of them would do it. And they wouldn't do it. They either couldn't do it to the um, quantities that I needed, um, or they just wouldn't do it because they were just small companies and they kind of did one-offs and their own thing and it was handmade. So, you know, I think when you're an expanding company and you're not doing sort of one-offs with things like Etsy-based kind of stuff, it's a lot more difficult. And also the price points as well. You're probably talking about four times the price point if you're looking at getting it done. So, you know, great for other people. For what I want to do with Harrier, it, it wasn't for me, unfortunately. Are you kind of self-taught? Because I'll be honest with you, if I went to try and design a race vest now, I could probably draw something that looked vaguely like a race vest, if you know what I mean. Was it all self-taught? You know, is, is there some kind of Kate McKenzie background there where over the years you've been really great at drawing and uh, and you've always had good ideas and designs? No, I used felt tips. It was like a child great. drawing. Yeah, it's <laughs> nothing funny. <laughs> No, it was just um, just a lot of descriptions. And um, like I said, I kept them simple. So it wasn't too difficult to um, to show what I wanted, really. But obviously, they were very refined when the designer managed to do everything for me. So, you know, it, it was the basics to get started out. But then you've got the professional design work that have come in for two rounds of samples to get them refined. And one thing I have noticed is that, you know, you've also added quite a few products reasonably quickly to the um, to the lineup. And you, you've just touched on the fact about the waterproof jackets that you're hoping to bring out as well. Is there a plan to get to a certain level or are you, are you looking to expand the product into as many parts of apparel and, um, and kit as possible? No, I think I'm going to see where we get to with the waterproof jackets. They're going to need a lot of investment, a lot of testing, a lot of capital. So I think that's going to happen 
um, after Christmas for 2021. But then after that, I'd rather spend the next year time just refining and improving the products that I've got and making them better. So rather than keeping expanding, because I've always said that I've wanted to go for the design and the quality, um, a good price point. So I think if I just take a step back now, take a bit of a breather and just work on improving the existing products that I've got based on all of the great feedback that I've got from customers already, um, then I can just make them even better. And touching on that then, your feedback and reviews and I suppose community acceptance of the Harrier brand. How's that been in the last 12 months or so? Oh yeah, it's been great. I wouldn't have been able to do it without um, the support and, you know, just the feedback that I've had from people um, on social media and um, just reviews and things. It's been great. But I think that's because I've been open and really taken on board what people have said. So people have felt more confident in wanting to talk to me because they feel like, you know, they're their ideas are going to be put to good use. Yeah. And one thing that you are very good at, if you don't mind me saying, is social media. I've been uh, trawling through your Instagram over the last few months. And I think that the way that you interact with the community and the way that you portray the Harrier brand, I think you're doing a great job on that, I must admit, because you get the feeling that the brand is initially is you. Um, which a lot of people do buy into in terms of personality. I've been talking to David Hellard in the last podcast, and we were talking about the identity of a brand. And in this day and age that people buy in not only to products because let's be honest people can get you know a similar product from brand x or brand y but quite often these days i think people start to latch on to personality and who you are as a brand um is that quite important to you how you actually speak to your customers consumers via social media yeah, definitely. But I mean, it, it's the only thing that I've got when you're going up against these huge corporations um, that have just got everything behind them. The only thing that little Harrier has got is, um, you know, is just the voice to be able to speak to people directly. So you have to make the most of that. And if I'm not myself, I can't really do anything. So I'm lucky. <laughs> That it's kind of taken off with, you know, a bit of a weird sense of humor on some of the um, the social media and things. Oh, people like that. Yeah, people like it. I mean, we did a competition the other week um, that was places with the weirdest or rudest um, names. It could have gone horribly wrong or people might not have liked it, but everybody loved it. It was great. Um, and so, you know, I think sometimes I still find social media very stressful um, it's very difficult to know how things are going to go. And when you're putting your own personality out there, obviously it, it's quite difficult for you because you think, oh gosh, you know what, what happens if things go wrong? And I'm definitely a bit of a dweller and a worrier, yeah. which isn't great for social media. So all you can do at the end of the day is, is be yourself. And I think I've been lucky really. I think the saying you can't please all of the people all of the time is very apt for social media, isn't it? And, oh, yeah. um, and again, talking to some of my guests in the last few weeks on the running industry podcast, they've all uh, echoed those thoughts. I think Kate, mm-hmm. we all worry uh, from, uh, from night to day, especially when it's your baby, when it's your brand, it really is so important. Um, just touching on that, one thing I'd like to tease out from this podcast is, which I think is very important, you know, within the running industry, certainly female business and brand owners and founders of a brand like Harrier or something similar. They're reasonably few and far between um, in my findings. Does that side of things for you, um, are you aware of that or how do you feel about that? 
Mm, yeah, I guess so. I mean, I haven't worked in the running industry before, but I did used to work in the agricultural industry, which was very male dominated. And mm. um, there's a lot more women getting into that now. But um, when you start your own business, you don't need to worry about a glass ceiling. You don't need to worry about people giving you promotions because you're director from day one. So I've always known that I've wanted to have my own business. I've always felt like I could do um, a better job than a lot of previous times when I've had a job. Um, I've just felt like I could do more and that I was held back in a, in a, a company environment. So I do think that with everything that we've got available now, like YouTube, um, with articles, all these sorts of things that you can do to be able to start your own business, I think the only thing that would hold people back is um, is your sense of hard work and determination, not whether you're a man or a woman. Right. Uh, you just have to go with it. So, yeah, if you've got it and it's your own business, I don't see why you should be held back if you're a man or a woman. Brilliant advice, really good advice. And uh, I completely concur with that. And uh, I think one of the great things about, I suppose, trail running and the trail running and the running industry as well, Kate, is that more and more now um, I'm involved in the events industry and I go to lots of events around the country. You know, the, the let's say the, the percentage split or participation split has, has really changed, I think, in the last five or six years um, to the point now where you're almost seeing in some sort of um, nice sort of community trail events, almost a 50-50 split between participants as well, which is another great thing, I think. Yeah, and it, I do enjoy seeing um, all of these top class ladies giving the men a run for their money now for the top spots. And it's great to see that the overall podium positions is less about top three men and top three women. You've actually got women who are, you know, it's just top three people now, which is great. Yeah, absolutely. It is. Um, touching on the uh, product side, or should I say rounding off on the product side, I noticed as well, I've got to pick one thing up. You've been showing off some Z poles uh, or running poles that fold recently as well. How's that coming along? And are they, uh, are they something for the future? Yeah, the Helvellyn poles. So they were inspired by supporting my friends on a Bob Graham round. Uh, last year, I couldn't have got round any of those legs in the Lake District without poles. And so um, I started using them after that. And so Helvellyn on leg two, we were up there the first time that I ran in the lakes, absolutely loved it and named the poles after them. So they are the best seller at the moment of, of anything the, the Hellbelling poles. And then we've just brought out some nice aluminium catbells poles also named after the Lake District. Um, yeah, they're great. No, they're brilliant. If they allow you to do to do more elevation, to go further, then I mean, it, it's great. I've had knee issues in the past and they really help me with stability. Um, your product marketing and sales model, I want to touch on that. It's quite innovative um, in the way that you go to market in that you go direct to market and you are pretty much online and at the moment, as I understand, not in any shops. Is that a long-term plan or have you got some ideas to maybe diversify a bit or is it just the goal to sell Harrier direct to the consumer? Yeah, it would only ever be direct to consumer because uh, I just like passing on the savings direct to customers. If I had distributors or retailers involved, you'd probably be talking about a 30 or 40% margin. And that's basically why my products are 30 or 40% less because I'm selling direct. Um, so no, that would never change. I would never have physical place to sell either because I feel like that's going back a step is having premises to pay for. 
Um, so no, as a you know, as a modern brand, I would only want it to be direct customer and online. Sure. And in terms of your um, route to market, do you use ambassadors? Do you have you got athletes out there? Um, I did notice the other day that um, Georgia Tindley, yeah, she managed to beat the Abrams T round, which is a, a, a fast growing classic, shall we say? The starts and finishes in George Fisher's, the old Abrams tea shop there in Keswick. Yeah. But um, is that a plan for you as well, Kate, to have more ambassadors, people out there um, advocating the product in terms of um, exposure on social media? Um, I'll be honest, and this might be a little bit controversial, but no, I wouldn't have ambassadors. I'm very lucky that Georgia likes the Kerber vest that she wore. Um, and I asked her if she would test it out for me. She tried it and she said she likes it because it's a nice small size for her. When it comes to ambassadors, I don't want to send people free stuff for them to say that they like it and for them to wear it. I'm very lucky that with all the people that have um, have brought Harrier things, they've been ambassadors without me having to give them free stuff because they just like it and they're happy to share to support a new brand. So as that stands at the moment, no, I'm quite happy with how things are going. Um, That's interesting. That really is. And in a way, it's fresh because... I don't know any global brands out there at the moment who don't use ambassadors and as you call them influencers. And um, it's a really refreshing point of view there, especially in the in the growing world of social media where you're right, you know, let's be honest, um, lots of products get given or even paid for to be used by certain brand ambassadors out there. I'm sure that not every single product is loved by those people, but that's not to say that they don't have their place and, and that certain brands really, you know, benefit from having ambassadors and athletes. I mean, I've been lucky to have some independent gear reviews. So people like Claire Maxted, um, uh, Lloyd from Run for Adventure as well have uh, all reviewed the kit. But again, they're, they're independent reviewers. So it's a little bit different, isn't it? But they've been integral to helping getting the word out as well. Just touching on 2020 and let's say the lack of races and shows and all of that, um, has that kind of hindered you in a way? Did you have big plans to be attending kind of, you know, events and shows and uh, and certain races to and try and sell the product? I actually, I feel like I'm quite socially awkward. So to not have to go and stand at events with a stall is no problem. <laughs> <laughs> It's nothing worse than standing there hoping that somebody's going to come over and speak to you, is there? <laughs> no, I know what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> so um, the thing that I've missed with races and events, which is uh, actually doing better now that there are some starting off, is that other people are seeing carrier kits. So say on a few things that have happened recently, I've had people feedback um, and say, oh, it's been great. I saw loads of Harrier race fest today on this ultra. And so are seeing it so from a cross share example yeah it's great um i'm sure i will be at, at races and, and shows and things because it's a great way to speak to people face to face and i did do it before lockdown um i just don't look forward to it as much shall we say <laughs> okay well when you get really big you'll be able to just have people who go and do that for you um just looking forward as well, Kate, obviously you're still really young in your business, let's say history, but in terms of growth of the business, where you're at now from say, obviously March, um, or certainly start of 2020, and what your projections are in the next 12 to 18 months, have you got uh, big plans to grow big percentage or are you keeping it manageable? Oh yeah, world domination, end of next year. Why not? Absolutely. Got it all mapped out, it's fine. <laughs> 
I think for any small business, it's just any startup, it's to still be in business at the end of year two, because, you know, that that is when businesses can fail. So Mm -hmm. this year has been really difficult with cash flow. Um, It's been very difficult with COVID, but I'm getting there. So I think for me, it was just be to um, improve the products that I've got. Uh, you know, next year I'll probably have the same product range, but everything will be improved. And um, yeah, just to keep stable, really, and just to keep the the reviews good, keep people happy. Um, that is the most important for me than exponential growth. It is kind of solidifying the the quality and the brand name and what you know what people know us for, as opposed to the the growth side. That should happen naturally if the other things get improved. Yeah, I was just about to add exactly what you said there. I suppose if you look after those things, then exponentially, there should only be one result, shouldn't there? And that's hopefully growth. So uh, good luck to you with that. I am absolutely sure that um, Harry has got a big future. Just looking at the industry in general, Kate, what are your thoughts on the running industry at the moment, the landscape, whether that's races, brands, obviously retailing both on and offline? And how do you see the future? You talked about, you know, retailing um, not being something for you in terms of obviously bricks and mortar. How do you see the whole landscape in, let's say, five or six years? Mm, I think there's a lot more opportunity now for individuals to start up in particularly niche areas. You've got different platforms like e-commerce, Amazon, eBay, all of these different areas where you can specialize and develop a particular product, bring it to market. So I do think, I mean, I guess I'm a businesswoman now, but what I think is that the kind of the big mixed corporations they don't do as well because you've got individual smaller sellers that can fit into the niche areas and speak more to their customer base, um, a lot more online. Mm-hmm. So I do think that that is the way that it's going to go. I think everyone's going to have to adapt. With COVID this year, I think it's pushed everybody to do a lot more online. Um, so yeah, I think that's probably the way that it will go. Yeah. And in terms of things like races and events, once let's, you know, let's cross fingers and let's say, you know, 12 months from now that things are back to whatever we want to call a normal. Do you see that still being um, a relatively similar landscape? I mean, obviously in terms of races, there's a lot more choice out there now, a lot more people doing trail and obviously, you know, distance such as FKTs and virtual events and that. How do you see that the event side of things developing? Yeah, I think it will go back to normal. Everyone loves a race, don't they? And you know, the kind of the the community feel. I, I'll be honest, I'm more of a fan of having a guided day somewhere. Um, I, I really enjoy things like um, I go to Glencoe and have a day out with Girls on Hills. Um, or I've had guided runs um, in the lakes and things. Uh, I'm not a massive fan of races. Sure. Um, for other people, normal people, they're great, aren't they? Give something to aim towards, see people on the day. And uh, yeah, I think it will, you know, everyone will be jumping on the bandwagon to get back to them as soon as we can. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And I think that when that day comes, wow, I think there's going to be an almighty clamour for people getting into races. Oh, yeah. Races are going to be filling up in double time. Okay. Well, it looks like there's a yeah. We're all we're aligned there on the and how we see the year, uh, the next few years unfolding. But certainly, I think that your your thought process on smaller companies and businesses, let's say, slightly disrupting things and changing the landscape, I think that's on a trajectory, and I think it's going to continue. Well, Kate, it's been absolutely fantastic. And let's finish off with some quick fire questions, if I can. I say quick fire, but you can take as long as you like to answer them. Um, what do you see as your greatest? Business achievement to date? 
I think just getting through this first year and still being in business after, you know, trying to start up with uh, with COVID going on, that is the biggest achievement so far. It certainly is. I think anyone who's started a business in the last 12 months and is still, like you say, around and like you in your position uh, has done a very, very good job. How about yourself personally? Where do you see yourself in five years time? I guess, yeah, I guess maybe just heading up Harrier a bit more as a um, a brand with a team involved would be lovely. You know, it would be great to have a Harrier team um, and other people involved in the business. Just, for, you know, rather than freelancers working to have a, a proper, you know, group around for the business. So we'll see. Just remember me, won't you, when you're uh, when you're featured on the uh, BBC Top 10 Bosses of the Year or something like that, about that little podcast. <laughs> Oh, no, slave driver. I'd never get that. (laughs) And to finish off, Kate, tell us something about Kate McKenzie that people wouldn't know. Oh, no. Um, So I grew up in South Africa. Um, I was born there and lived there for the first few years with my family. So, um, yeah, that might be something a bit bit different. And there's a lot of trail running in South Africa, especially around the Cape Town area. So who knows, maybe I'd be able to, I didn't do any trail running when I was two years old, funnily enough, um, but maybe it would be quite nice to go back there one day uh, with some Harrier kit. There you go. Uh, expand into South Africa. Actually, just um, as a segue, there is a South African international trail runner called Meg McKenzie, you might have heard of. I know. I've heard of Meg. She's fantastic, isn't she? She is. No relation. No, otherwise I'd be a great runner. <laughs> She's better than me. <laughs> I'm sure you are a great runner. Uh, very uh, modest with it as well. Kate, it's been absolutely fantastic. I've really enjoyed it. Um, I think what you're doing with the Harrier brand is tremendous. Um, we need more people like you and we need more brands like you out there. And all I can say is thanks for your time and good luck in the future. Thank you so much for the opportunity. It's been great to speak to you. Well, I really hope you enjoyed learning a bit more about the fledgling trail brand Harrier and its founder, Kate McKenzie, a runner, businesswoman and a person with hawk-like focus. Huge thanks to Kate and good luck to her with the brand over the coming years. And for your chance to win that Harrier prize bundle, all you need to do is to email Kate at the following address, support at harrierrunfree.co.uk. Sending Kate the answer to the following pretty easy question. In which country was Kate born? Very simple if you listen to the podcast and the winner will be drawn at random in the coming weeks and will receive a lovely Harrier prize bundle. With three more episodes to come in this season of the Running Industry Podcast, I just wanted to take this chance to really thank everybody who has subscribed and downloaded the show's Reviews and ratings also help the podcast in gaining exposure. So we'd be really grateful if you could give us a rating and a review. And of course, make sure that you subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. And finally, you can follow us on social media via at Run Industry. And a quick mention again for the runningindustrypodcast.com website, where you can catch up with all of the episodes of the Running Industry Podcast. Keep listening. Keep spreading the word and we'll keep making the podcast. I'm Matt Ward and the Running Industry Podcast is an Amplify production. Thanks for listening and until the next time, goodbye.